The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Tonight we're going to look into the book of Proverbs in chapter 3, if you'd open your Bibles there. Proverbs chapter 3. Now, if you'd hold also Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I'm not making any promises we'll ever get there, but we might. We'll get there whether I have you turned there or not. I, I just don't know yet. But uh, have it ready. Mark it somehow with a ribbon in your Bible or stick something in there where we can all turn to it together quickly in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, our text is Proverbs 3. And if you don't mind standing for the reading of the Word of God, if you need to remain seated, obviously that's fine. But we're going to look in Proverbs chapter 3 and into verse number 11 and 12. Just two verses is our text tonight. You know that short text always translates to a short sermon. You've known that by being at a good Baptist church, haven't you? But anyway, uh, we're in chapter 3 and verse number 11. Now, the writer uh, Solomon um, begins here like he does. Well, if you look back in chapter 2, my son, that's how it begins. Chapter 3, my son. Our text, verse 11, my son. Solomon obviously writing to his son. Most would take it, and I assume this is right, that uh, it would have been particularly Solomon's words to the son that would follow him, that would be Rehoboam. And he had other sons, obviously, but um, when he says, my son, over and over, it is often understood that he was preparing, training, mentoring, making sure that his son Rehoboam understood, uh, had this kind of wisdom. So anyway, in verse number 11, he said, my son, Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Now, that's a short text. I really, really would like to get it in our minds before we jump into it. Why don't we read it together? Let's everybody do that. Just read it right out loud together and Follow the pace. We're not trying to see how fast we can get through it. We want to get it clearly in our own minds. So you read it aloud with me, would you please, in verse number 11 and 12. Ready? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Heavenly Father, we do pray now for your blessings upon the reading of your precious word and also upon our time together in the word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us. I, I, no matter how familiar I might be with this passage and with what I'm going to preach about tonight, that, that is not the issue. I want to be familiar with it. I want to have studied it and to have it fixed in my own mind but that alone will not suffice. And just uh, the fact that we are assembled in this room and that there is a sound system and there is a voice able to be heard, it doesn't mean everyone hears. So I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will arrest our attention 
And may we hear what your word said. Your son Jesus said more than once, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And I pray that we would not just be hearers of thy word, but that we would be doers of thy word, that we would hear indeed. So help us and accomplish your purpose through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> I'm sure there are probably some, as I look at some of the young people that are here, that maybe have this go through their mind every once in a while. I'm sure there are many of us, if we were to be honest, can remember when it went through our mind that we had this attitude, we had this mindset, I can't wait to get to a point in my life where nobody's telling me what to do. Do you ever remember being there? And uh, I was raised by a, a strict father, and, and uh, our, our father loved us. I loved my dad. My, all three of us boys loved our dad. My sisters, well, you know how girls can be. They were just a little bit obstinate and so forth. But I'm just, I'm joking, don't, don't. Please don't get on Twitter and tell me that I'm racist or sexist or whatever that is. But you know, I used to pick on my sisters and tease them, and they were more difficult. They had trouble with authority that my brothers and I didn't have with my father. And so I, I can remember, though, thinking, man, it'll be great when I finally get to the point where nobody is telling me what to do. You talk about ignorance. That's how ignorant I was. I actually thought I would come to that point. And there are some that uh, believe that when they graduate from high school, they'll be to the point where nobody's telling them what to do. Then they go to a Bible college that has, you know, some pretty strict parameters set. And sure enough, they do have people telling them what to do. When that assignment is due, what they're to read next, when this is supposed to happen, and on and on and on, they just don't get to that point. And there are some that get so frustrated that they join the military. They're sick and tired of people telling them what to do. And then there are some that face the reality when they get married. That, whoa, just a minute here. And I've come to the conclusion, and not just by observing life, but by the Word of God, that I will never come to a time in my life when I do not need to be told what to do and what not to do. I'll never reach that time. You see, when Solomon writes to the son, somebody says, well, this is Solomon giving it, you said it. Uh, this is Solomon giving instruction to his son. Exactly. But I wonder why it lives in the Word of God. I, I wonder why God inspired these words and 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 inspired these words and preserved them, and we have them in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, when I read this passage, am I really supposed to be thinking about long ago there was a king by the name of Solomon, he had a son that he would sure like to be prepared uh, so that he might carry on the responsibility, and so he told him these words, is it here just as a matter of history? No. We understand that this is a living book, and that what God has said, God says. So that when I pick this up, I don't even primarily think about Solomon. I think about God, and I think about me. Now, somebody said, well, yeah, but he's talking about a, this a father talking to a son. And uh, the son would have been much younger than the father. Well, I'll just tell you right this, uh, right this moment, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, 
I have a heavenly Father. God is my Father. And though I'm 75 years of age, I'm but a child compared to the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One, and on the authority of the Bible, I am God's son or God's child, and He is my Father, and I will never be free from the fact that I am to give attention to what my Father says to do and what my Father says not to do. Regarding life, I remember um, about uh, two years ago, and uh, my wife and I have recently moved, but this is the house we lived in for 29 years, and here's on a full acre, about a block and a half from the church, and this whole street right here, right in the heart of, you know, inner city, Oklahoma City, is, um, is a street here that's about, oh, three, four blocks long, and it's all one-acre lots. And so about 30 years ago, well, not about 30 years ago, 30 years ago, my wife and I bought that house and lived there for 29 years. <clears throat> and um, so the neighborhood changed. Uh, things happened through the process of time. You know how it goes. And the neighborhood changed and no big issues, no real big issues, except for the fact that in our neighborhood, when it came springtime and summertime, there were a, a lot of outdoor activities more than normal in our neighborhood. And so, uh, especially on the weekend, uh, they would get together and they'd have these outdoor gatherings and outdoor parties, and some of them were pretty rowdy in terms of liquor and alcohol such as that. But what the part was that really gave me difficulty was the music they played. And it wasn't so much the music, if you was there, you could hear the instruments and such as that. That wasn't it, it was the incessant beat that was very, very heavy that could be heard two blocks away. It was so strong. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Cars have driven by your neighborhood, perhaps, and your windows are shaking, and somebody's got that bass cranked up, boom, 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 boom. And so my, I've traveled for years, and my wife and I'd be gone. I'd come home, look so much forward to being home and having a little time at home, sit down in the evening, and here it would go. Just start, boom, boom, boom. It's an old house, 70 years old, and the windows are shaking, and <laughs> it's, just, it's just awful. And it's just irritating. I, I can't see how that's music. I don't see how that's music. I, don't, I just can't call it music. And it's going on. And so I w had several weekends like this, you know, off and on when I was home. And finally I just said, no, I'm not going to do this. So you know what I did? I just go down and talk to them. I just go down and their music is playing and it's beating away. And I said, hi, you know, I've met you before. I'm your neighbor right up here. Remind them of my name. And I would just say, now, look, uh, I'm in my house and it looks like you're having a good time here, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Okay, see, okay, what? I said, would you mind just setting that beat where you can hear it and I don't? Because you're down here enjoying the whole thing and I'm trying to set my house, enjoy a little peace and quiet. And that's just taking our house, and my wife has serious ear issues, which she really does, and it just particularly irritated her in a physical way and me in a spiritual way. You know, it just grieved me. Oh, I just couldn't stand that stuff. And so would you mind turning it down? Sure, sure, sure. And they wouldn't. And uh, so I'd go back. You didn't do that. Yeah, I did it to five neighbors, some of them two or three times. 
I never yelled at anybody. I never got ugly. I never stopped smiling, trying to be nice and be, quiet, uh, be polite and such as that. Never threatened to call the police or anything. I just asked them if they would just kind of shut that down. And finally, I just got to where I wasn't being very spiritual about it. Uh, not in my atti uh, uh, attitude when I talked to them, but it's just grieving me. And I told my wife, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going to do something. I'm not, I'm not going to come home and sit here in my house and put up with that kind of nonsense. You can't have a minute of peace. You can't enjoy music. You can't watch anything on television. You can't converse back and boom, 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 boom. And it finally stops and you think, hallelujah, it stopped. And then it goes, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's just the beat changes, that's all. And it just goes on and on. So we're going to a Sam's Club. Walk in this Sam's Club. Wouldn't you know, I thought it was providential. I walked in there, and just as soon as you walk in, you walk past this little open area there, and there they are, outdoor speakers right here. I told my wife, ah, oh, that's it right there. That's it. She said, what? I said, I'm going to buy those speakers. I'm going to have somebody help me hook it up to my system on the pickup truck. And whenever they're doing that and they won't turn it down, I'm going to back my Chevy Avalanche down there with those speakers on it. I'm going to put my preaching on there. I'm going to crank it up so loud they won't be able to handle it. I'll teach them. I'll pay them back. My wife said, you're out of your mind. You're not going to do that. And then I'll put on Heartland music and we'll let them have it. I'm going to teach them a lesson. She said, you see how much they cost? You're not going to pay that kind of money. Oh, but I'd like to. That's what I said. I would really like to. I, would, I thought that was a great idea. Honestly, I can tell you, you're not very excited about it, but I thought it was a great idea. The next morning, I'm up early, and I don't have to get up early. I'm not pastoring anymore. It was in the summer. College wasn't going on. I was still president of school, but I, wouldn't, I didn't have a lot of things going on. Home a little bit. Very excited. Got up early in the morning to read my Bible. I always do that. Get up and read my Bible. I read for an hour, sometimes a little more than an hour. As I'm reading along, my reading has me in the book of Proverbs. And as I'm reading along, here's what I read. I read about three verses past it and something put on the brakes, probably the Lord, you know, put the brakes on in my mind and said, you need to go read that again. And I went back and read it again, and it was these words in Proverbs 20. You don't need to turn there. And it just said, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait upon the Lord. And I read that, and I wanted to keep reading, and I read it again. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait upon the Lord. Now, buying the speakers, if I'd have done that, put them on my truck, what would I have been doing? Well, uh, you say, well, they weren't really doing evil. Okay, but it really wasn't good. I mean, that's not really a good thing to do to your neighbor, force them to listen to that kind of junk. And so, okay, so they weren't doing some moral evil something, but I was still saying, I'm going to teach them a lesson. What, what was I saying? I will recompense them. You want to play this game? I'll play this game. That's what I was saying. Now, somebody said, but you didn't buy the speakers and you wasn't going to do that. Yeah, yeah, but did you hear what he said? Say not thou. And what God showed me that day is, it's not that I didn't go buy the speakers and actually do that to them, but God showed me, son, your thinking is wrong. You're not even thinking right. Because you're not even supposed to say to yourself, 
I'm going to recompense this evil. This is what I'm going to do. But I did say it to myself, and I said it to my wife, and I thought it'd be a good plan and something I could pull off and maybe fix this situation. And God says, no, you're not even thinking, right? Say not, uh, right? Say not thou, I will recompense evil. But wait thou on the Lord. And then, I, I mean, I've got a wicked mind like anybody else. I'm thinking, okay, I'll wait on the Lord. What's he going to do about it? What's he going to do about it? And so I just decided to get my hands off of it. Now, here's the point. Here I am. I mean, I've been a preacher for years and years and years. I've been reading this Bible. I don't, I don't even know how many times I've read through the Bible. I've preached all over the place in the Word of God. And yet here is my heavenly Father, the morning after I fully express a bad attitude towards somebody that is not being considerate of me like they ought to be. Everybody listen to me? And I am thinking primarily about me, not primarily about anything else. And I'm thinking primarily, and God, my Father, spanks me over it. And I had to ask the Lord to forgive me for a rotten attitude and ask Him to forgive me for having that spirit. I had to ask my heavenly Father, help me to know how to deal with this. What would you do about it? Nothing. Did it quit? Eventually. Why did they quit? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I didn't go down and say, why don't you do that anymore? You think I was going to do that? No. <laughs> All I knew is they quit. It went away. Well, what I'm trying to say is, this is God teaching, correcting His child. Now watch this. As long as I have a sound mind, and I can read the Bible, or listen to preaching, and understand what God is saying, and how He corrects my life, I will never come to the point that I will not need chastening. That will never happen. I've said it like this. I've said, if I live to be 95 years of age and have the soundness of mind, and my wife told me, that's not looking too good. So, but anyway, if I do, if I live to be 95 and have the soundness of mind, and I'm serious about my walk with God, I can tell you right now, His Word is still going to be correcting me. And you. See, It's called the chastening of the Lord. Now, I'm going to confess something else here. I used to have a real weird idea about chastening. Uh, it may have had to do with two or three things. It may have to do with some of the preaching I heard about chastening. <laughs> I grew up in a, you know, uh, I've mentioned a Christian home. My dad pulled us out of a church where they started using Revised Standard Version in 1957. And my dad said, I've only got an education through uh, I, I used to say he went through the 10th grade. He said, don't tell that anymore because I quit after football season. But anyway, my dad, way back in another time, like many, he never finished high school. And, uh, <clears throat> and so my dad was a, you know, a, a, a good man, a wonderful man, strict man. He had us in a right church. So he told the pastor and the deacons at the First Baptist Church in our hometown, I'm not educated like the pastor is. I'm not educated like some of you doctors and lawyers and businessmen are, but I know where the Word of God is. And my dad got us out of that church, got us in an independent Baptist church that was just starting. We got right in on the groundwork of an independent Baptist church in our town. And so uh, in that church, our pastor had come from Texas, and most of the preachers he had came from Texas that would come up and preach a revival and 
such as that. And so I know Ohio has an issue, some Ohioans do, have an issue with Michigan. I think there's kind of a natural state rivalry over there. Well, that's what it is with Texas and Oklahoma. If you're a true Okie, you have to hate Texas. Not really hate Texans. I don't hate any Texans. But you have to play the game, and we don't like Texas, you know. Most of it has to do with sports. Well, these Texas preachers had come up. And these Texas preachers that um, were, were friends of our pastor that came from Texas to start our church, they'd get up and preach. And I, I can remember growing up, listening to a lot of revival preaching and listening to our pastor preach, and chastisement, the chastening of God, was an oft-mentioned subject in those days. It probably wouldn't be politically correct to do what they did now, but nonetheless, they would get up. And here's what I remember. Now, I'm not saying all of them did this. It's just what I remember. My youthful and young mind, I was about 11 years old when all this started. And I can remember preachers getting up, and they'd be preaching, and they'd get in the fury of preaching. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll kind of demonstrate here just a little bit. And, uh, and the preacher would get to preaching, and he would say, and I'm just going to tell you, you need to get right with God, or you better do what God says, or he's going to get a hold of you by the nap of the neck, and he'll wear you out. God's going to chasten you. When they end with you, you know they are very serious about what they're preaching. You know, and that's the way a lot of them preach, something like that. And I remember them saying, and I remember thinking, I was sitting down here on the front row very close if I was being a good guy, I could. And so I, I'd often be sitting close. And I love preachers, and I love preaching. A lot of them made it our house. And I, I remember hearing those preachers, God's going to get a hold of you. He'll get you by the nap of the neck. He'll work you over. God's going to chasten you. So I just thought, well, chasing is when God says that's enough and gets a hold of us and just slaps the fire out of us, you know? Like a frustrated parent. Have you ever seen parents like that? Maybe some of you had parents like that. Maybe some of you were or are parents like that. To where the rod came or the pain came to the child when you couldn't take anymore and then you were angrier than they were bad. And so it really didn't produce what it was supposed to produce because you were a frustrated parent. May I say to you that we have a heavenly father that doesn't go there. That's not who he is. That's not how he works. But I had this mentality. I had this attitude. That's what chastening is. Well, through the process of time, I became a preacher and became a pastor and I'm studying out this matter of chasing, and I thought, you know, just for the sake of clarity, I'm going to do some word study. I don't, I don't preach word studies, but before I preach this sermon, I'm going to do some study on this term, uh, chastisement, and other synonyms with chas chastening or chastisement. going to do a study on it. It's very revealing. Very revealing. The word chas uh, chasten. Definition, official. Go study it yourself. I invite anybody, please, search the Scripture and go study. Check it out. Get you a good Bible dictionary and go check this out. Chasten, discipline, correction, instruction, rebuke. Now, that's the official, this would be official definition of the word Solomon used. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in the text I ask us to turn to, we're not going there yet, but he also used the word chasten or chastening. And the word that he used that we have in our English, chasten or chastening, listen to this, chasten, uh, tutorage, educate, nurture, 
Now listen to the definition, old and new. Correction, instruction, rebuke. Tutorage, education, nurture. Doesn't that, does that sound like something different to you than you better watch out God to get a hold of you and he'll work you over? Is it, does that sound different? Well, it is different. It is different to what I remember hearing. Now, I'm not blaming all the old preachers and everything. Some of them might have done it exactly right. I'm just telling you what stuck out in my mind and what I remember. And probably how I started out preaching it myself. And then you understand that the chastening of God has to do with the fact that he wants to correct what's wrong and he wants to give instruction and he has to rebuke wrongheadedness as well as wrong behavior and then he wants to tutor. Now that's the part that got me I wasn't expecting about chastening. Has him having to do with tutorage. At Heartland Baptist Bible College we have uh, where students come in and they take this test as they are registering in the first year, we try to find out where they are in English. And so uh, if they are at this level in English, then they're going to go be with this teacher in this class. If they're at this level, then they're going to go in a different class and help bring them along. And then if they're below that, then they're probably going to need some help to catch up with the college level of English. So you know what we have provided? Tutorage. Tutors. We have students that have already been through uh, those classes that they're going to take, have excelled, done very well in those classes, and then we would pay them a sum so that they might tutor these students because we don't really care for students to come to fail. We would really like for all of them to succeed. And so we'd have the tutor set with them. Now, in order to do that, you talk to the tutors and you talk about really what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, on a campus like ours, we think attitude has a lot to do with everything, the right attitude. And so here's what we didn't want them to do. Go in and they're trying to tutor somebody. And they try to help them with this and the kid, the young person is struggling with it. They say can't seem to get past it and it's not registering. What we don't want is the tutor to chasing them like this. What's the matter with you? You should have learned this when you was a freshman in high school. What are you, thick-headed or something? What's up with you? you know, and get in their face and yell at them about it. That's not what tutorage is. Tutorage is sort of like this. Okay, let's try this. Okay, and let's, so they help them along. So you know what chastening from God has to do with? It has to do with the ways that God will do what? Bring us along. He'll tutor us. My dad, I mentioned, was a farmer, and I, I can remember our, much of our land had terraces in it. And it's really nice when you just go to a flat piece of land, you get in and just plow and go around it. you got terraces, you don't plow over the terraces, you plow within the terraces. And then out here in the other part, you back furrow because year after year plowing can move the fence, uh, the uh, uh, dirt all towards the fence and such as that. So you do some back furrowing. And I can remember my dad when we were cutting wheat, and he'd get me started in the field as a 12 or 13-year-old kid, and he'd say, now, Sam, here's what you're doing. I want you to do this over here, this over here, and then I want you to do this in the terraces and such as that. And I would say, okay, you got it? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. And then dad would go down the road, and I wanted so bad to please my dad. You know what I did, Pastor? I'd overthink everything he said and foul up. Foul it up. I remember one time my dad, we, we, it was an extremely busy time and not everything was going right, machinery problems and having to run after parts and all that kind of stuff. And I remember my dad came uh, back to the field and I did everything wrong. I could tell the way he looked when he got out of the pickup truck. Oh no, I'm in trouble. My dad came over there and he said to his 12-year-old son, 
Now, Sam, this isn't what I told you to do. Now, you were set on that fender. I would ride the fender of the tractor. He got the seat of the tractor. He said, you sit there and you watch me. So my dad laid it out. Do you see what I mean, Sam? Yes, Dad, I see what you I'm sorry, Dad. He said, do what I just, do what I tell you. Don't make it hard. Just do what I say. You know what my dad did? Instead of screaming at me and yelling at me and knocking me off the fender and plowing me under, you know, instead of doing that, my dad just talked to me and he tutored me and it helped me. See, that's what the word means. Tutorage, to educate, to help somebody learn, to help somebody understand. I, I, what, at 75 years of age, like what, I've got everything figured out? I already confessed. I didn't even know how to deal with a neighbor issue without fouling up. I was gonna go get even with them and teach them a lesson. I still thought it was a pretty good idea, but it was a bad idea. And so I got corrected. I got corrected from the Word of God. My heavenly, somebody said, that's what Solomon wrote to his son. Yeah, well, that's what God wrote to his children. See, tutorage, understanding it. Now, here's another word. If you look in our text, uh, he, he talked about chastening and he talked about correction. Now, let's talk about correction very, very quickly. Correction is very, okay, can I have your attention? Correction would even be involved in the definition of, uh, of chastening, but they're not synonyms. They're not the same word. And correction has to do more with um, instruction verbally. See, if, if I wanted to, in fact, I've done a whole sermon on this, the ways God chastens. You know how God chastens? I can tell you. There are four ways in the Bible, I challenge anybody to find more. There are four ways in the Bible that God chastens. God may chasten by the silent treatment. My mom was one of eight kids. Grandpa was a Mennonite. They were Mennonites. My grandpa was very strict, but he never spanked any of the eight kids. That's not necessarily how it should be. I'm just saying that's what he did. And I'd say to my mom, then how, how did things get corrected? He said, Dad would, whoever's wrong and messed up, if it was one or two or whatever it was, Grandpa would go silent on him. Sit at the table and be right down to the last, you know, as times of difficulty and hard times, and there's just a few beans left. He would offer the beans to almost everybody there except the person that messed up, and he just passed them by like it wasn't even there. It's time to line up and tell uh, Dad good night before bedtime and to go by, and when the one that was being chastened came by, he would look the other way as if they didn't even exist and start talking to somebody else and totally ignore them until my mom said eventually you wanted to be right with dad. You'd beg him for forgiveness. That's the way he did it. Somebody said, now, I don't know if I agree with that kind of thing. Did you ever read where the word of the Lord was scarce in those days? Did you ever hear about that 400 years of silence? Did you ever hear about a time when God's not speaking anymore? You know, that can not only happen on a big scale, that can happen in your life as a microcosm, and mine is too, of how it can be with God. In your times you go to prayer and you speak with God, you know God's there and you know God hears you, and then you may go for a time and things get into your life and your mind and your attitude and everything else, and you go to talk to God and it's like He's not even there. You can talk, but He's not talking back. There's no witness of the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, I can show you the Bible where He's done that many times. Many times. So there's what we would call the silent treatment. There's also the loss of privilege. 
the loss of privilege. Uh, did you know why Moses didn't go into the promised land? Because God said, you speak to that rock. He took the rod and said, you rebels, must God give you water out of the rock? And he smote the rock twice, and all he was supposed to do was speak to it. And God said, you're not going in. You'll see the land of promise, but you won't go in. Does everybody listen to this? Don't make me preach on this long. It's a loss of privilege. Another way is by physical affliction. God would do it physically. Yeah, how do you think Jacob wound up most of his end of his life going like this? Because the hollow of his thigh was gone. His hip was not in place. And he limped his way through the rest of his life. A physical reminder of the correction that God worked in his life. Is everybody with me here on this? And that's not the only one, but that's one. You know what another one is? Verbal correction. Verbal chastening. And what we have right here in uh, verse number 11 is uh, that neither be weary of his correction for whom the Lord correcteth. Are you listening to this? It has to do with verbal correction. Verbal correction. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, did you ever sit in church and hear the Word of God and think, man, that helped me. Man, that was such a blessing. The last time I got to be at Southwest, I, uh, it was either two weeks ago this past Sunday or a week ago. I, I can't remember exactly. I have to stop and think about it. And you don't care anyway. But I'm just saying, I was there. And Brother Gaddis preached that morning and night. Oh, my soul. My cup was full. My wife, my son, our, his family, we were just talked about it over lunch. It's wonderful to go home and talk about the preacher over lunch, isn't it, if you're talking about the right thing. And we were talking about that and just, oh, it's just so encouraging. But did you ever go to church and hear about the second coming of Jesus and really believe that Jesus is going to come anytime soon? We preached about that Sunday morning. And just put you on alert. Makes you think what's really important in this life. Jesus could come at any time. And he could. I said, he's coming any time. We're not looking for the signs. People said, do you see this as a sign? I don't know. I'm not even looking for signs. We're not even supposed to be looking for signs. We're looking for the Savior. And I'm not trying to be tricky or cute about it. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're looking for Jesus to come. And I'm not looking for signs about this and signs about that. There aren't any signs that have to be fulfilled before Jesus comes again. His coming is imminent. He'll come at any time and just feel like, boy, that message puts me on alert, makes me refocus and think about it. Did you ever go to church and feel like when you left, man, I just got a whooping. I got worked over. Did you ever feel that way? Nobody seems to want to talk about it, but anyway, I'd almost guarantee if you're in the right kind of church, that's happened to you before. That preacher worked us over today. Well, if it was him, take it or leave it. Thank you. Shame, man, that I had to wait on a woman to say amen. Now, come on, let's get with it. That went over great, too. But anyway, uh, no, no, I'm just saying. Think about that. You're in the right kind of church. You're going to get that way. You know why I have gone to fellowship meetings? Sometimes when I didn't want to, I need preaching. You know what happened? Sometimes when I went to fellowship meetings and preachers preached to preachers, I got worked over. I absolutely got worked over. You, you mean by preaching? I mean somebody uh, got you? Yeah, I mean he wasn't coming after me as far as I know. He's just preaching the Word of God and it's the nature of the Word of God. 
And so when you consider the definition, correction has to do with argument, presenting an argument. Now don't miss this, present an argument. Not like two people in an argument, but like a lawyer presents his argument to the jury and the judge. You understand what I'm saying? And oftentimes the preaching of the Word of God is you're presenting this case and you're developing this argument and it may be revealing or it may be exposing some wrong action, attitude, thinking in your own life and this argument being presented, pre uh, presented it's, sort of like, it's sort of like he's chiding with you. Well, that's part of the definition of correction. To verbally argue or to be chided, reproved, instructed, taught. Look at me a second. It's a haughty, haughty, arrogant soul that could sit before the Word of God and think they've reached the point they don't need correcting. Stay away from that person. They are very, very full of themselves and they do not see themselves as they are or God as He is. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, I should know I don't like to go to church feel like the preacher's after me or that I got worked over or something like that. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If, if I quoted these verses right, I could probably get an amen out of a few. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Amen. See? All scripture, though, is what it says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for correction, for instruction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect truly furnished, he's not perfect in his own life, but he's fully equipped by the Word of God, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. What? You know what he just said? Take the Word of God and chasten the hearers. That's the definition of chasten. When Paul said, all scriptures are given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine. Uh, now, hold, hold on, we live in a time where, well, can't we just forget doctrine? No, absolutely not. We can't forget doctrine. It's teaching of and about Jesus Christ, and it truly matters. But not only for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That's part of the definition of chasten and correction. And then he charges Timothy and all subsequent Timothys till Jesus comes back again, preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Which is also the definition of chasten and correction. See. So if you've ever felt that way, hold on just a second. If you've ever felt that way, you got a choice to make. You can either say, I don't agree with that preacher. Who's he to think he's telling me what to do? You can do that. Or you can humble yourself and get down and thank God that he cares enough about you to speak to you and correct and chasten and instruct 
and set you in the right way. That's what I need. I mean, I've got all kinds of stories. I'm not going to confess all of my sins to you. But I remember after I retired uh, from the pastorate, my wife and I got put together in chunks of time that we had never known in our whole marriage. Man, it was great for a while. <laughs> and I can remember, I can remember very clearly one morning reading the Bible again, just reading the Word of God. I'm in Ephesians. I know what Ephesians is about. I, my last uh, through a book exercise as pastor of Southwest Baptist Church on Wednesday night was preaching through Ephesians. I've used Ephesians chapter 5 at married couples retreats, marriage counseling, premarital counseling. I, I could quote most of Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm reading that morning, and it includes Ephesians, and I come to chapter 5. I'm sitting right there, and again, I'm just reading like a good boy. I'm reading my Bible. And then something stabs the heart and says, you need to go back to that. And I was hoping I was going back to, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as under the Lord. That's what I was hoping we was going to emphasize. But no, no, no. No, it's husbands, love your wife. And I sat there arguing with the Lord. I love Sandra. We've been married all these years. She's a precious woman. I love her. And then you know what the Spirit of God made me do? Go read 1 Corinthians 13, what love is. And I went back to a time when I heard a preacher preach at one of our uh, retreats. And he used me. And he said, uh, can I use your pastor as an example here? Oh, yeah, everybody's for that. And he said, uh, Brother Sam, do you love Miss Sandy? I said, I sure do. He said, oh, that's great. Then you're kind. And then he said, Miss Sandy, her name is Sandra. I call her Sandra, but she calls her Sandy. He said, Miss Sandy, is Brother Sam kind? She doesn't, there's no gray areas with her. You have to know that. She said, he can be. Oh, so Brother Sam loves her some of the time. I wanted to say, you dirty dog, I'll never have you back to preach here again, you know? <laughs> and is gentle in all the description of love. And I went back that morning and said, and, and God showed me, is this the way I love you? The way you love her? Are you living up to this? No, I need corrected again. And God worked me over. Look, look, hold on just a second. Oh boy, those two things happened to you? Yeah, you need, do you need more? And I'll need it again next year, this, this year. I'll probably need it this week. In some way, an attitude, a thought about our leaders. I'm supposed to pray for our leaders. I get so upset with all the hypocrisy and the lies and the politics, it's hard to talk real ugly about these people, which is exactly what we're not supposed to do. Is everybody with me here? And if we're in the Bible, it'll correct those wrong attitudes. In relationships, in relation to money and material things, in relation to forgiveness and bitterness and every aspect of life. There's, he covers, hey, this book covers all the bases. What's the likelihood we're going to get off here or off there or off here or off there? That's why you go to church, to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, to keep your life where it's supposed to be. It needs correction. It needs instruction. It needs reproof. It needs teaching. It needs encouraging. Sure, it needs um, ed edifying. It needs all of that. And it's all supposed to come through preaching. 
and he gives two forbidden responses to his correction. Look at it. I'll do this real fast. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Verse 11, neither be weary of his correction. Two things he said. Can I have your attention? When you're corrected of God, don't despise it. It doesn't matter if it's as you read the Bible or it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you know things are awry and what you said ought not to have been said. You need to confess it and get it right right then. I'm just saying, when God addresses you, it doesn't matter if it's in a church service and you're under the preaching of the Word of God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. When God corrects you, two things. Don't despise it and don't weary of it. Now, rather than talk about each one of them individually, which I could, kind of put them together, and it just basically means this. Did you ever have a time as a parent when you sat down with your child and said, sit down, son, I'm going to talk to you. And the son sits down and goes, the old floppy neck thing, and the eyes roll back in the back of the head like, oh, here we go again. Now, I never did that to my dad. You know why I didn't? My older brothers tried it. And I watched them and I said, no, this was going nowhere. I, I never did that to my dad. And my sisters used to do it to my dad and mom. They did. They, uh, come here, I need to talk to you about this or that or whatever it might be. Oh, like I got more important things to do than listen to what you had to say. That never went over good. And if there's a parent that's got enough sense not to put up with that attitude, how do you think the Heavenly Father feels about it? When you go to church and the preaching of the Word of God rings your bell and addresses something in your life and you kind of develop the attitude, you may not do it physically in the pew and say, oh, here we go, although I have seen that, and, and here we go again, and oh, no, it's a preacher, he gets off on this all the time. No, it's God's Word. If it's the preacher, take it or leave it. That's what I meant earlier. If it's just the preacher letting off steam, take it or leave it. But if it's the declaration of the Word of God, it confronts you right where you are. How you respond to that is vitally important to your Heavenly Father. And he said, don't you despise it. I hate it when he gets off on that. I hate it when he wants to preach to me about that. I just despise that. He said, don't do that. So King James sure hard to understand, isn't it? Uh, excuse me, tongue-in-cheek, being facetious. If you don't like sarcasm, I'll try not to do it, but this is my last night, so I'll probably just go ahead anyway. Really, friends, really, don't despise it. If it's just a preacher, don't worry about it. If it's your Heavenly Father addressing some issue in your life, how you respond really matters. And I can just tell you right now, all I have to do is read that he says, don't do that. What will he do if you do? You need to know. You would like to find out. He just said, don't do that. And, and don't you, listen to this, uh, don't you be weary of correction. Pretty much the same attitude of, I'm so weary of this. I don't want to hear this. I, 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 I quit. I'm done. On and on. Go to Hebrews 12. We'll wrap it up this way. You look in Hebrews chapter 12. Wonderful, incredible passage. 
about this very subject. Real, real fast. Hebrew believers are striving against sin, verse 4, and they're having a hard time. They are suffering because of their devotion to Jesus. And Paul said, there's something you're forgetting. That sometimes God allows this pain, or sometimes God allows this suffering. It's a part of His chastening. Verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, quoting our verse, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. Verse 6. For whom the Lord, say it please, for whom the Lord, what? Loveth. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, if ye endure chastening, he didn't say that you'll sit around delighting in chastening. But if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now, let's stop right here and remember this. That he said, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth. Now, scourge is a whole nother level. And he says, whom the, Lord loveth, he, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And then ask the question, a rhetorical question. What son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you had siblings, was there anybody in, in your family? Did you have a sibling? Or maybe it was you that got by with stuff that others didn't get by with? Yeah. Maybe so. But you know God doesn't work that way? He scourgeth, he chastens, scourgeth every son, every person that becomes his child, every son that he receiveth, he chastens. And if you endure it, endure it. Then he said, God's going to deal with you as sons. That's a good thing. I said to endure the chasing and have God, your father, deal with you as his child. This is good. It goes on. And he says, but if you be without chastisement, now look up here just a second. He says, if you are one that is not chastised, then he uses a word that means simply this. If you are without chastening from God, then your claim to be his child is illegitimate. And he uses the word for it. And so if you're one that says, well, I've been a saved since I was this, I don't know anything about chasing God. I don't know anything about the correction of the Lord. I don't just kind of do my thing. I don't know anything about it. If you are a person that knows nothing of the chastening of the Lord, you better really check and examine, did God become your father? Did you become his child by faith in Jesus Christ? Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. What son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If any of you be without chastisement, then are you making an illegitimate claim that God is your father and you're his child? Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And to that I say, uh-huh, amen. And so would our own children say that. And we gave them reverence. We reverenced our parents when they exercised 
chastening, no matter how it came in our life, we reverenced them. Everybody listen We respected them. Not me. I was a rebel of the family. Well, don't be proud of it. It's nothing to brag about. Scorner, rebel, hate authority, hate God's ordained authority. I'm not like a lot of church members. I don't look at the pastor the same way everybody else does. Well, the first thing you start identifying the fact that you are so different than everybody else just raises a huge red flag that you're full of pride. And if you're rebellious against God-ordained authority, then the issue is not between that man with whom you think you have an issue. It's the God that gave him the authority that he has. It doesn't matter if it's a parent in the home or a pastor in the church or the law or who it is. Amen. You're welcome. Look in verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Look at this. Shall we not? Much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? Look at me just a second. Did you ever come to church and you felt like God's correcting you, chastening you with the Word of God? And you stand there, go through the invitation, walk out the door, nothing happens. Why don't you just do this to God? think we are so if if we know if, look my dad was i mentioned last night my dad was a sinful man that needed the grace of god in his life yeah when he chased me i didn't buck up against my dad i didn't say what do you think you're doing who do you think you are neither did i say oh i'm so sick of this kind of stuff <laughs> no, i didn't do that i received it sam davison if you can see to do that with your dad, you can't see to do that when God speaks to you through his word or through preaching or through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When your dad chastened you, did you just turn around and turn your back and walk away? No, no. I let dad say what he wanted to say, and then I asked dad to forgive me, and I'd rather be in his fellowship than not. You can just be totally disrespectful for my dad to get in my face and to talk to me and correct me and instruct me and rebuke me and do all of that. And my response is, and yet many people walk out church doors like that and don't even think about it. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Shall we not wretch? Much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. Look at verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, they verily chastened us after their own pleasure. Now, we've got to understand that. It doesn't mean our parents take pleasure in executing chastisement. How many of you thought your parents did? This hurts me more than it hurts you. And I used to think, oh, sure. Well, then how about we just not do this? No need both of us being hurt or either one of us being hurt. But... You know, my dad didn't say that much, but I think I might have heard it. It means, it, it, it doesn't mean my dad has pleasure in what he's doing, but it means according to his own discernment and judgment, this is what he must do. Is everybody with me here on that? 
And, and so they barely uh, chasing us for a few days, the days that we're being raised, a few days after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. What is God doing when he chastens us? Look at me just a second. It is preordained, predestinated by God when you become his child that he works to shape you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You don't get there alone. You get there by his involvement. And his involvement is correction. His involvement is instruction. His involvement is chastening. And what is the end that he has in mind? That we might be conformed to the image of his son with whom he is well pleased and that we might be more like Jesus. What's the deal with a man taking his son and wearing him out with chastisement, correcting him, teaching him? What's the idea? Because you want him to grow up to be the man you're trying to be. That's the whole purpose of it. And they verily for a few days chastened after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his whole, made more like him. Look in verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Can somebody say amen? I don't ever remember my dad laying it on me, and I had plenty of whoopings. I don't ever remember my dad laying it on me. Uh, ten licks, bud. Ten licks. Oh, no. <laughs> Ten licks at lick five. I don't remember stopping and saying, Dad, could we stop just a second? Isn't it neat how we're bonding through all of this? <laughs> Isn't this just a meaningful father-son time? I don't ever remember saying, no, I'm not going to stop him. Let's get this mess over with. You know what I mean? Uh, you, 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 no, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, it after, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We had two daughters and they're four years apart. My wife had a couple of miscarriages and I thought, well, it looks like we're just going to have two girls, and I would sure love to have a son. And then I'll never forget, uh, when the girls are born, you couldn't hardly, if you're a father or husband, you can hardly get in the hospital in those days, you know. And then by the time our son was born, seven years after his youngest sister, fathers could be there when the child was born. And I'll never forget that doctor saying, taking a Samuel, holding him, just, just born, you got yourself a boy. And I was already about to pass out anyway from what I saw going on. But anyway, <laughs> then he told me that. And I was just so overwhelmed with joy. I, my knees got weak, and I about went down. Got a son. Yep. And I love my son. He's 39 right now. And uh, he was uh, 16, somewhere in there. I was hoping that there would be no more whoopings or spankings. And uh, I forget all the issues. I think he could tell you. He said he could when I talked to him about this. But nonetheless, I don't remember all the issues. I just remember saying to him, now, son, and I was getting ready to leave, and I said, uh, if you do this, if you disobey me, 
don't know if it's something I, he was supposed to do or not do. I don't remember which. But if you disobey me, if you think you're too big for a whooping, you'll find out. I mean business, and you're not going to cause your mother whatever problem that would have caused, the issue would have caused him. And I said, and if you disobey me, I'll whoop you. You understand that? Yes, sir. I left, and he did just what he wasn't supposed to do. I came home, and my wife told me, was, oh, I was just sick. So I get him in his room, and I said, what did I tell you, Samuel? And he said, well, you said you was going to whoop me if I did it. I said, and you did it, or didn't do it, whichever it was. He said, and, and you, you, dis, you disobeyed. Didn't seem to matter. I said, you left me no choice. Told him to get up, put him over the bed, and I took a belt or a rod, I don't, I don't remember which. And I, I laid it on him. That is child abuse. Oh, the statutes of limitations ran out a long time ago, so if you're a bleeding heart liberal, just get over it. Cause, and I, I laid it on him, I did. And it, I was sick to my stomach, I was sick. And uh, when I was done, he sat there and he was in pain. And he sat there and I tried, waited a little bit, and I tried to talk, he, there was no talking to be done. I got up and I went back in my bedroom and when I went back there, I just sat down and I just wept. The old devil was on my shoulder saying, this is how you drive your son away from you, right here. Way to go. This is how you separate. This is how you drive him away, what you just did. And I prayed, and oh, I was just, I was sick. And the next morning, our paths didn't cross. The whole next day, our paths didn't cross. Could have been basketball season, I don't, I don't know. But our paths didn't cross. We didn't see each other the whole next day. And I was just miserable about this. So the next morning I got up and I went to my dresser there and opened the drawer to get some socks out. And I reached in and right there on my handkerchiefs was, I saw a sticky note sized thing. And on that sticky note, he wrote, Dad, thanks for spanking me. I needed it. Thank you. I love you, Samuel. So I sat down and cried again for a different reason this time. And then when he got home that evening, we sat down and talked. It sort of reminded me of my dad and me. Some of the sweetest times I ever had with my dad was when he corrected me in the most severe way, and it worked. And our fellowship after that was incredible. Made me think of my relationship with God. Because I went through my Jonah time. I went through some rebellious times as a teenager and all of this. But some of the sweetest times I remember with God is being at a revival, for example, and getting things right with God and with my parents and even my sisters <laughs> and getting things right and the joy and the peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness is what the Bible calls it. And you know all God wants of his children is just what Samuel did to me. Thank you, Father. Because if he doesn't chasten, you miss out, I miss out on a major part of the demonstration of love 
of a father for their child, and that is chastening, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. No chastening, no demonstration of love. Biblical chastening, it comes from love. And all God ever wants to hear is, Father, I needed that. Thank you. I'm sorry. And then get back and enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now I have to say, you can only know that. You can only know that if he's your father and you're his child. You can only know that if you've ever come to God and said, God, I'm a sinner. And the only way I can have you as my father and me be your child is to trust and have faith that Jesus paid for all of my sins. And when God becomes your father, you do become his child. And there's nothing sweeter than that father-child relationship, even after a mess up, even after being corrected, even after going through some pain and coming back and things are right between father and child. There's hardly anything that's a greater <laughs> sensation than the sweet fellowship of God. Father, help us to have the right attitude, the right spirit, because you will chasten us. It's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of if. Hebrews chapter 12, it doesn't leave room for an it. You will chasten us. There are people in here of my own generation. We are not through needing correction. We are not to a place in our lives where we will never need anybody telling us what to do again. That's not so. And what you're interested in, what you are seriously interested in, is how we receive correction. Not that we need correction. That's no surprise to you. You put this in place. But how we receive it. Despise it. Grow weary of it with an attitude. Or receive it and be changed. Then I pray for anybody in this room that they cannot, on the authority of the Bible, call you their father. And they cannot have any reason to claim that they are your child. If there's somebody here that has never been saved, that has never come to confess that they are sinners and can't do anything about it except trust in Jesus, the sinless one who paid the price for all of our sins. If there's somebody that needs to get saved, oh God, may they not just push it off for another time. Might there be the humility of heart to say yes to your grace. Yes to the great gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Bless this invitation for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to have a time of invitation. Piano's playing if the Spirit of God's touched your heart. And maybe you just need to think about how you respond to chastening. And maybe there's something that God's really been dealing with you about, and so far it's just sort of been, I hear that, trying to walk off. I'm not accusing, I'm just saying that's possible. We're able to do that. 
be a rare person in this room to say, I've never done that. Right now. Anything you need? If, if somebody's here and you've never been saved, would you like to be saved? Would you like to know God is my Father? God who is God is my Father. I'm His child. Oh, it's wonderful. My dad died 39, let's see, my dad died 38 years this past Monday, 38 years ago. I still miss my dad, but I've never been without a father. I said, I've never been. I'm, I'm this age in my life. I still need a father. How many times I come to God and say, Father, your little child needs you right now. I need you. Been through some things this past year family-wise, or I had to come to God and say, Father, I don't know what to do. I, I do not know what I'm supposed to do. I do not know how to handle this. I do not have, I don't even know how to deal with the pain that I'm feeling right now. And come to the Father. Oh yes, it's real. He'll be your Father. You'll, you'll delight in being His child. One of the greatest privileges I have or that you have is to bow. Jesus taught his disciples to do this. Our Father, which art in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray just like that. Pray to God. He's your Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Sometimes you ought to just stop and think about what you just said. I just called the God who is my Father. Because he told me to. And I am his child because I believe in Jesus. I've been saved of my sin. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to be saved. Boy, this would be a great night to know that your sins are forgiven. How's it going, saints? God able to correct you? I don't read. Can I, can I share something with you? I don't read the Bible through five times in a year because I'm so good. I read it through five times a year because I'm bad. And every day, I'm either blessed or corrected or both or instructed or gain understanding that I need in this life. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.